Welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, May 15th, 2023. I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini. And I'm Tell Me on a Sunday podcast, Grace Aki. Grace, as we are recording, this is Mother's Day. We both have mothers that we adore and love, so we are sending out a slightly belated uh, Happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers out there, whether you are an actual biological mother or a figurative mother or a stand-in mother or a perhaps a father who is doing the work of both a mother and a father. So happy Mother's Day to everybody. We hope you had a wonderful day on Sunday. Also, we want to send out a hearty congratulations and happy trails to everybody over at the Broadway revival of Bob Fosse's Dancing, which is officially closing on Sunday at the Music Box Theater. A short run, unfortunately, 17 previews and 65 regular performances. But we uh, want to congratulate them on everything. Everybody who saw it that I, I know absolutely raved about the performances. So I want to bid a fond farewell to them and everything they did in this run. Of course, also over the weekend, we had our latest episode of This Week on Broadway. If you want to hear that and every other episode of Broadway Radio before you can get it anywhere else, head over to patreon.com slash broadwayradio, broadwayradio.com slash patreon. And just a little inside baseball on the podcasting world. Apple Podcasts has started to make a little bit of changes with how they recommend things and where things show up in their their internal algorithms. So what they do is they prioritize now rather than downloads, they are prioritizing most interactions. So we encourage you if you haven't or haven't in a, in a while left us a review or uh, a rating, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us uh, a little bit of feedback to help us be a little bit more present in some of those uh, different algorithmic changes over at Apple. All right, Grace, let's get into the news. And unfortunately, there is only one story that we can start today's episode with. And this is news that was first exclusively reported by The Hollywood Reporter, though we had mentioned that this was pretty much on the horizon on Friday's episode. But officially, the Tony Awards, as of now, will not be televised as scheduled on June 11th. That is because the Writers Guild of America has denied a request for a waiver from the Tony Awards, which is actually coming from the Tony Awards Management Committee, which is a group of eight people, including Broadway League President Charlotte St. Martin and a number of producers, including Scott Sanders and Jordan Roth, and eight representatives from the American Theater Wing. Um, they had petitioned the Writers Guild of America to present a waiver to the Tony Awards, which would allow them to perform the show just like normal, as if nothing was going on with the strike. Mainly, they were citing the, the fact that the Tony Awards are the biggest box office opportunity for Broadway shows, many of which need the exposure uh, of a nationally televised performance to sustain their lives and otherwise very well might close. We have talked about the fact that despite tons of Tony nominations and being the prohibitive frontrunner for best musical throughout the entire season, Kimberly Akimbo is still barely getting by, if getting by at all. They're probably not making any money on a weekly basis. They would need this opportunity to not only have a performance, a medley, a song or whatever on national television, but also the excitement built from seeing a number of their creatives and performers winning awards. Unfortunately, that is not going to happen. That was denied by the Writers Guild of America. And we'll get into that here in a little bit more. But Scott Feinberg, a former guest here on Broadway Radio, has said that the Tonys are considering two different options. They have they have set an emergency meeting on Monday morning to, de to determine what they're going to do next. The two main things currently being considered are to stick with the June 11th date and hold a non-televised presentation, whether that is an intimate dinner with, you know, just the nominees and, and, and all of those folks, or do a press conference where they announce the winners and then the winners can give a little speech or whatever. 
Uh, and then the second option would be to postpone the ceremony completely until the strike is over, and then it can be televised on CBS and Paramount Plus as originally expected. Grace, you work in the industry, so I don't know how much you can say or or want to say, but just off the bat here, perhaps maybe more so from the show's perspective, how how damaging is this? Like, how, what does this mean for the industry? not having the Tony Awards in oh. this specific season, coming back from all of the stuff where we we're just kind of finally getting our feet under us coming out of the shutdown. It's definitely very crucial. Right now is a very crucial time. Like you said, there are a lot of shows. I mean, this is not an internal talk. You know what I mean? Like we we talk about the grosses on a weekly basis. We talk about the State of the Union on a weekly basis. Um, and so many shows heavily rely on what June 11th will bring. You know what I mean? It's, it's essentially um, kind of, it's just one of those things that leads into the summer and into the fall campaigns of so many shows and their sustainability within the community and with tourism, right? So it's it's very scary uh, for the precedent that this might set for some of those shows that, that absolutely need it. Um, and to my understanding, this is not some kind of, you know, inside as well, but the voting period would stay the same. So this is not, you know, whenever the awards eventually happen, this is not something that's like, oh, you know, in September, you know, I've decided now that I would like this person to to be leading and this, not this person, you know what I mean? Like the voting period will still stay, stay the same um, for the campaign. It, it's a matter of when those awards will be announced and what those mean. You know, it's interesting to me because if the nominations, uh, you know, kind of like signage gets to stay up during the summer, that's kind of cool, you know? Um, yeah. and, and, and this is something I've always felt for a long time. Tourism typically, you know, out of town, whomever, there is not a difference. Like to a lot of people, the Tony Awards, they are not sure when they happen. But whenever you're reading and you're walking past a marquee that says Tony nominated or, you know, 10 times Tony nominated or nine times Tony nominated, um, those things still resonate. Even if that show does not garner the same win, the word Tony still ha carries a lot of weight. So, you know, I, I don't see a huge problem in that moment, but a lot of these shows are going to rely on some of those wins and the big bump of the fact that, like, even regardless of what the standing of the award is, the opportunity of the televised performance can really bump a show. And I'm, I, I think it's very puzzling and I do not envy any, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly probably going to have to figure this out um, <laughs> within, you know, my own understanding, but, but I don't envy anyone who's had to also work this entire weekend to kind of process this. I mean, this is, this was definitely a rumor that we heard at the top of the previous week. Um, it was hard to digest throughout the week. And then on Friday, as I was traveling, I thought, oh, God, please, no, I don't I can't think about this all weekend. And I tried not to. So um, I'm glad we're having this conversation now, but it's definitely challenging. Yeah, it's it's something that is going to have ripple effects across the entire industry, across dozens of shows. Uh, I mean, how, how you know, who knows whether that's. Shows that are currently running, shows that have closed and going out on tour, like these things have impacts long term on what they will do for the industry. And when we talk about shows, it's not just the property of the show. It's the people who work on the show. And that's the thing that is really concerning here is that the 
hundreds of people that it takes to run each Broadway show, performers, crew, front of house. Like these are a lot of people who could be potentially losing jobs because they don't have the opportunity to have this performance. And I went off on a little bit of a mini rant on Twitter and I'm going to exempt Grace from this discussion. So I'm just saying this is just me, Matt Tamanini, saying this. I don't want to infect Grace with any of these things that I am saying. But ultimately, the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, who is the organization that the Writers Guild of America is currently negotiating a new contract with, they are responsible for this. Yes, the Writers Guild of America is the organization that officially denied the waiver request from the Tony Awards. It's not their fault. The The Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers are the ones who are behind the reasons for this strike. In my opinion, the Writers Guild of America is trying to fight for living wages for their members. And that is something that I, as somebody who supports unions and support organized labor, completely understand and support. My day job, I also cover entertainment business and a lot of that is is streaming and a lot of the conversations and discussions that are happening because of this is because of the way that streaming works. I also understand that most streaming services at this point lose hundreds of millions of dollars, if not a billion dollars every quarter. Netflix is the only one that is consistently profitable. Warner Brothers Discovery, which which owns HBO Max and Discovery Plus, soon to be just called Max later this month. They made a $50 million profit last quarter for the first time. Everybody else loses hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars every quarter. So I understand that the system is broken and they need to figure something out. That being said, I am so angry and frustrated with the Broadway League that I just can't see straight. Uh, many of you who have listened for a long time understand that my feelings toward the Broadway League have often been that they are asleep at the wheel and do little to nothing to actually ensure the long-term success and viability of their industry. I don't know what would have happened if the Broadway League would have gone to the Writers Guild of America and instead of saying, hey, we want a waiver to just do our show the way it normally is done, instead of taking into consideration that you are currently on strike and said, here, we'll we'll do some big statement of of solidarity at the beginning of the show. We will have just the awards and the speeches and just performances, no bits, no uh, additional written content, anything. Obviously, people will have to say something to introduce things, but they can do it on their own. Uh, the shows can come up with it. If they would have presented something to the Writers Guild of America that took into consideration the fact that a strike is meant to be disruptive, a strike is meant to cause harm, a strike is meant to make things more difficult, the Broadway League and their ever loving arrogance decided that they didn't need to be subjected to that because, oh, we're theater, we need this, don't look down on it, don't hurt us, boo-hoo-hoo, rather than meeting the WGA where they are and said, hey, we want to help with this, we need this, but here's what we're going to do to at least show that we understand how important this is. I don't know if that would have mattered. Like the WGA still could have said, no, I'm sorry, you are airing on CBS and Paramount Plus. They are who we are negotiating with. We can't do something to allow them to have a benefit. I don't know. But what instead what the Broadway League did was say, look, we're theater. Just leave us alone. We'll do what, you know, just let us do our thing. And that didn't happen. And that is what is the problem here with the Broadway League is that they are the ones who coming out of the pandemic, the, the, the shutdown, the pandemic still going on. 
they did nothing. They, they they did almost nothing to help get Broadway back. It was individual people, individual shows, individual creatives who kind of got the ball rolling. Tina Fey did a show on NBC highlighting Broadway shows. The Broadway League did nothing. So I, I'm so over the Broadway League. I'm so over Charlotte St. Martin. I think that the the rank and file membership of the Broadway League, which is still like super influential and, and and wealthy producers and theater owners need to really consider what the organization is designed to be and also need to consider who is actually running that organization and who is the leadership of the Broadway League. Because right now, the people at the top of that group, they ain't doing it. They ain't cutting it. And it is really a disservice to the thousands of people that work on these shows that this arrogance very well might have cost them their jobs and millions and millions and millions of dollars. So rant over. Let's move on to some other things, Grace. This is something that I know the succession heads uh, amongst us, who I am not one. I don't watch succession, uh, but they will be very happy about this because Emmy, Golden Globe and Screen Actors Guild Award winner Jeremy Strong will be returning to Broadway this next season in a new adaptation of Henrik Ibsen's An Enemy of the People. It is currently scheduled to run sometime on Broadway in early 2024 and... It is going to be a new adaptation by Amy Herzog, who is currently responsible for the Tony-nominated mm-hmm. adaptation of Henrik Ibsen's A Doll's House on Broadway, which also stars one of Jeremy Strong's I co-stars. Know. Yeah, you're freaking, you're freaking out about this. Okay, Sam Gold directing. Go ahead. Tell me about Succession, since I don't understand anything about it and why these two shows on Broadway in successive seasons, no pun intended, with Succession stars is a big deal, Grace. Well, if you know me, you know that I have said countless times that Succession is my favorite play. So it's no surprise to me (laughs) that the fact that like Amy Herzog is continuing to like shepherd in Ibsen's work in her genius way um, and working with Sam Gold, um, who I'm 98% sure is her husband, partner. Oh, I didn't know that. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Um, and, and, well, and that's not inside tea. Like, I just, oh no, that's on I'm Wikipedia. Sure. Yeah. They got married okay, in 2011. Okay, I didn't know that. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. So, um, all that to say is that like the fact that like succession, my favorite play star Arian Moyad and also Jeremy Strong and that Amy Herzog is like, mm, you know what? I want to work with everyone from succession. Like, can we just get like a J Smith Cameron? Like, oh my God. I know, love so, J Smith Cameron so much. She is incredible um but yeah when i tell you that i gasped and this has been a very tight secret the fact that there was no leak of this is incredible to me considering like that the announcement came within like this very pivotal time in succession the final season um and and you have brian cox who's doing long day's journey into night um everybody's kind of dipping their toes back into the theater saying like hey, you know what? We've been doing this great play on TV. What if, what if? And and guys, I do recognize that this is not a play, <laughs> but the way that they <laughs> stage it and the way that these actors present, it's, it's, it's amazing. So I'm excited. <laughs> Here's one thing I have to ask. Amy Herzog, Sam Gold, married couple working together. You mentioned mm-hmm. Jay Smith Cameron. I'm looking at you, Kenneth Lonergan. When are you going to put know. her in one of your shows? Please, well, can man. I just say Come this? on. Kenny Lonergan, famously one of my favorite playwrights, This Is Our Youth. And the reason I saw This Is Our Youth on Broadway was because of Roman Roy himself, Kieran oh, Culkin. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, the idea that we have not yet had a J. Smith Cameron, Kieran Culkin, Kenneth Lonergan Broadway transfer of anything in this current moment 
TikTok. I have to have it, please. And also, if you're hearing, yes, there is a lot of sleep in my voice, and it's mainly because of the allergies that I am ingesting right now from being uh, uh, across the pond. Well, not across the pond. pond. Yeah, other side of the country. You're on the opposite side of the country. country. Yeah, I've taken a lot of Zycam. I'm sorry. When I went to Las Vegas, my everything the climate is just different like in the environment is just so different like i was my first week there my nose was all screwed up and then like the last two days it, it was better and then i got home and then the next week was all messy because it was like trying to readjust so i i feel your pain uh there also jay smith cameron if you did not watch the tv show rectify one of my favorite shows of all time she is incredible on that show all right, moving on here real quick. Let's run through some other things. Last week, the Off-Broadway Alliance Awards announced their 12th annual nominees. I'm going to run through them very quickly. There's not a ton of categories here. Best New Play, Cowboy, Fat Ham, On That Day in Amsterdam, Peerless, Which Way to the Stage? Best Play, Revival, A Raisin in the Sun, Candida, Endgame, God of Carnage, The Rat Trap. Best New Musical, Only Gold, Stranger Sings, The Bedwetter, Titanic, and Weightless. Best Musical Revival, A Man of No Importance, Merrily We Roll Along, Vanities, Best Unique Theatrical Experience, Aussie Wen's Inner Circle, and Hyprov, Best Solo Performance, Colin Quinn's Small Talk, Mr. Miss America, Sugar Daddy, The Near Disaster of Jasper and Casper, and Walking with Bubbles. And then these are not nominees, these are people who are going to be recognized. The Legends of Off-Broadway Awards, Allison Frazier, David Rothenberg, and Nicholas Vaselli, Off-Broadway Hall of Fame inductees, Andrew Lindsay, Robert Patrick, and Susan L. Shulman, and friend of Off-Broadway, Jeff Whitting. So congratulations to all of those nominees, all of those winners. The winners will officially be announced on May 31st, and an award ceremony will take place on June 20th. Also, real quick, one of our favorite places of all time, New York Theater Workshop, announced their 2023-2024 season. I'm just going to run through them very quickly. First, it'll start off with a new play by Nathan Allen Davis, directed by Patricia McGregor, called The Refugee Plays. Then we will have Hansel Young's new play, Marry Me, directed by Lee Silverman. We will have I Love You So Much I Could Die, which is written and performed by Nona Perneau, directed by Lucas Hanath. Good for Lucas kind of branching out into more directing. That's awesome. And then we will have Here There Are Blueberries, which is by Moises Kaufman and Amanda Gronick, and it is conceived and directed by Kaufman and is a co-production with Kaufman's Tectonic Theater Project. And this is an article that I want to point out is from uh, our friend Meg Masserin at Playbill. It's kind of theater related in general, but she dives into this new bill that is going to become law almost uh, certainly here in the next week or so in New York City. It is Bill INT 0209, which will prohibit discrimination against individuals for their height and weight. It is passed through the New York City uh, council with a vote of 44 to 5, and Mayor Eric Adams has already indicated that he will sign it into law. What this does, it means that in terms of employment, housing, and public accommodations, people cannot be discriminated against based off of their height or weight. And Meg does a great job of kind of going through what that could mean for for theater, whether that's like directors can't say lose 10 pounds before opening night. It also could have impacts on costuming because a lot of times they don't for financial purposes, don't want to build new costumes when they replace people. So they have to say, you have to fit in to the costume of the person you are replacing. That might not be possible anymore. But then she kind of gets into the inherent difficulties of what it could mean for casting and how because casting is inherently subjective, this could make it difficult to discern how this will be impacted. It's a great article. There's no answers because we don't know how it's going to be enforced yet. But I thought this was a really interesting thing to bring to light. It's something that, since I don't live in New York City, I hadn't heard about. But Grace, this is something that I think 
we've talked about, you know, before, whether it's accessibility or discrimination, like this is interesting. Like, I, I, I think this is something that is very well needed. I, I don't know how it's going to play out in terms of different things, whether casting or, or anything else. But I think this is useful and helpful. And I, and I hope it, it leads to some sort of changes on Broadway and around theater in New York City. Yeah, 100%. I think it's interesting. I have had some some more perspective on some of these things in in recent years and learning that they have there have been things in casting breakdowns that read and I'm not making this up under a character description needs a stick of butter to slide through the door. Um what and why and how um, I, I'm very excited about this bill. Um, I've been following a couple of content creators. The I think it's the Broadway Body Positivity Project yes. um, and a couple of others on TikTok that have been describing, you know, what this thing could mean. And and it's it's I appreciate the the precedent that we're setting for the community that for for a community that continues to say that you know we we support everyone. This is a space for everybody that we do love and support everybody in those ways <laughs> and, and especially through the system. So um, yeah, it's it's fascinating. I didn't know this was passing so quickly, but here we are. So great. Yeah. The article actually cites Stephanie Lexis, who is the activist behind uh, Broadway body positivity that you mentioned. So that's great. Uh, all right. So we had the bad news of the Tony Awards at the top of the show. So I decided to bring in not one, not two, but three different clips at the end of the show for your feel good recommendations in case you needed um, a little bit of a resurgence of serotonin. The first one is just a short little uh, highlight package from Goodspeed Musicals currently running production of Gypsy starring the great Judy McClain and Talia Suskauer, a number of our friends. Grace, who I don't know if you saw because you were on the other side of the country doing things. So I don't know how much you are on social media. Uh, I think three of our friends got to together and went and saw this over the weekend. I love me some Gypsy, the last musical I ever performed in uh, when I was a senior in high school. So I love it. I cry every time I see it. Check out the highlights there. It is currently running through June 25th. Then Playbill and Broadway World and Theater Mania have it too, but I'm, I'm linking to Playbill's uh, version. They did a, a press run of some songs for the upcoming American Repertory Theater production of, of Evita, which is being directed by Sammy Canold. We talked about it last week. It is starring Cesar Samoya, Omar Lopez-Sapero, and then, of course, Shireen Pimentel, who was most recently seen on Broadway in West Side Story, but she was also Rapunzel when we saw Into the Woods at Encore. She was great there. Uh, performances uh, are set to begin this Wednesday on May 17th, and it's going to open on the 25th, so definitely check those out. And then finally... Throughout this entire year, the Pasadena Playhouse is doing a bunch of Sondheim-related shows, whether it's actual productions, they're doing concerts, they brought in Bernadette Peters, they brought in uh, Ellery Ward and doing all these other things. The show that there is currently running at the Pasadena Playhouse is A Little Night Music. It is running through May 28th, and on Saturday, they put out a video of, it looks like just some sort of benefit or or some sort of performance and you know just on a, on a tiny little stage in front of people maybe at tables i can't tell but it is the great merle dandridge singing send in the clowns she's currently playing desiree armfeld in in the show and she plays send in the clowns i know she's kind of gone on to be a tv person more than a theater person she was most recently seen in the last of us on hbo max and she's fantastic She's a Broadway baby like she was in Tarzan. She was great in Once on this Island, and she's fantastic singing this song. So check all of those out. Grace, I know you're over on that side of the country. I know you've got a flight, but hey, maybe get down to the other part of California and, and check this out uh, before you head uh, head back to New York and New Jersey. I know. I love I love I, I've wanted to go to Pasadena Playhouse for years. So 
Sad to be missing this one too. I love that show. All right, everybody, that's all that we have for today. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Matt Grace, where can people find you? You can find me on all forms of social media at It's Grace Aki. All right, everybody, have a wonderful Monday, a wonderful week, and we'll be back to talk to you tomorrow. 